every Arizona homeowner's best friend, and it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, second Saturday of the month, in the outdoor living hour, so we are... Talking Trees, ISA Certified Arborist John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland from Save a Tree. Only 82 degrees right now. Only supposed to get to 108 today in the valley. That's not so bad. That's not bad at all. Anything, <laughs> any, we, we, we say anything under 110 degrees is gravy. And you know what's gonna what's so funny is by the time October comes and it's back down to 108 after it's been up at 117, <laughs> you're like, what was, I, what was I complaining about a couple months ago? <laughs> Well, the 10-day forecast is um, set to go uh, way north of 110. So, well, a ways north of 110, which is kind of the, the cutoff point where we we are um, having a little bit of concern for our workers being out out in the heat. 100 degrees is, a, is, is, a, is as I said, a piece of cake. Manageable when you're, when you're accustomed to it. Yeah. You kind of grow into it. You do. You do. There are two things about 115 degrees. Um, one, they say, and I don't know, that it has to hit that to suck the moisture up to start the monsoon. <laughs> so it's a good thing for that. Okay. And the other thing it's good for is keeping the other 7 million people from moving here <laughs> that want to move here. 115 is the only self-defense Arizona has. If we go. didn't have those days, we'd have 20 million people in Arizona. <laughs> That's a good point. Man, well, I, oh, man. I think you're right, Rosie. I think all those people that moved here are, are going to say, oh, wow, it's hot here. Yeah. Um, but there isn't a lot of moisture to suck up. We've had oh, no man. rain. so. I know. it. That's that's sounds like it's kind of a little consolation, is to say, well, it, it you know it's okay. Endure this hundred ten degrees because it's drawing in some moisture. It's supposed so. to draw that moisture up from the Gulf, and and you read you you Google will Arizona have a monsoon this year, and there are as many articles saying we will as there are articles saying we won't. So yeah. who's to know? Let's just well, all pray for a good one. Well, it was a big tease last year. Oh, I mean, gosh, it was terrible. We just horrible. got the big build up here in Phoenix. You see it over the mountains, and it just never could make it down to us. We need some good good rain this year. Well, and our featured tree of the month, the Palo Brea, it's not uh, it's not really sweating it right now. No, it's a very adaptable tree. Although interestingly, it's from Central Mexico, is kind of where its native habitat is. It, it does range a little bit further north into Sonora. But it is a um, a pretty durable desert tree, to be sure. Um, I was interested, too, when I was down in, in Wymas and then also uh, in Hermosillo. Uh, there's a lot of trees that look just like our, our trees here, but they got more thorns, a lot more thorns. In fact, there's a biome in, in central Mexico called a tropical thorn forest. <laughs> You know, it, no, it, it's it's ab- actually a habitat that is just loaded with thorny shrubs and trees, so dense that you can't walk through them. You know that 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 mountain in Wymus, that very uh, uh, characteristic mountain. You'll see its profile in sure. a lot of pictures. Yes, I tried to climb that once. It's impossible. Not going to not going to happen. I got to get huh? to the top of that. I, I set out to hike, and I tried several different avenues to try to get up there. I could only make it up a, a forty. 
50 yards, and I was just in a tangle of, of, of thorns. Wow. But anyway, uh, Palo Brea is kind of in that, in that family of, of thorn, thorny uh, trees. And I like the tree. Beautiful. It's, a, it's a, uh, different than your Palo Verdes in that it has, has more thorns. But there's another uh, unique characteristic. The angles of attachment on the branches are wider. So it's more angular. It's more architectural. People like it for that reason. It has just a little, a very unique um, uh, branch structure that uh, is 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 quite uh, striking, and people love it for that reason. It has a very pretty flower too. It does. It's got a beautiful bloom. Usually in April, if you have a palabre, you've seen it blooming. Um, Doctor Chris Martin at ASU says. For all those benefits of the palabrea, the uh, beautiful green, smooth bark, the unique uh, trunk and branch architecture, there's one drawback, and that is the thorns. And it has such a weeping growth habit, um, it demands a little bit of space. Yeah, a lot of people like to put them right in the front yard. Palabreas love to be 100 feet wide. I mean, I know it says 30, but they like 100. (laughs) And they just like to really stretch out and cover their roots and shade their roots. Our our workers um, often ask for hazard pay when they have to trim this (laughs) because they are so thorny. And they're very very uniquely uh, sharp thorns, too. And they'll go right through even leather gloves pretty easily. But yeah, they they demand a little bit of space. Unfortunately, if you put them next to a sidewalk or somewhere too close to a street or a parking lot, um, they're going to be problematic because they're going to be draping down. And it's not just a matter of bumping into a branch. Now you're bumping into very sharp, thorny branches. So uh, often what happens is is, uh, in a case like that, people have to start limbing them up and removing all those beautiful architectural branches in the low canopy in order to get those thorny branches above head height, which is a shame because that sort of the, defeats the whole purpose of having a, a beautiful tree architecturally in the landscape and then having to uh, essentially butcher it, which is uh, what Dr. Chris Martin warns against. He says, hey, give this tree a beautiful space in the landscape where it can go and grow and and be and uh, grow to its full height and spread without a lot of intervention on our part in terms of pruning. Well, as far as pruning goes, you know, it's a tree that if you do little small cuts, it's always wanting to go out. So you can actually trim little and trim little. It'll turn and turn and turn until it gets back out. And if you go into the west side, um, some of the places along Greenway, subdivisions that have palabreas all the way down the road, they're almost spiraled going up to make that clearance. And what we do it in technique-wise is to really reach back in and take your cuts a little bit deeper and form new branches. And that's a way of really eliminating that turn. Yeah, when we do our pruning cuts, if you cut back to a, a side branch, if you're reducing the length of a branch and you cut back to a side branch, you can choose a side branch that grows in a favorable direction. It's quite nice as you can start to shape your your trees and shrubs and, and get them to grow in a direction that you want. And you do that by selecting those um, side branches that grow in that either to avoid or to avoid in the in the tree, to an empty place in the light, in the canopy where you need to get that filled in, or to grow in a favorable direction that's away from the sidewalk, away from the roof, 
and that way you can um, uh, keep the tree looking as natural as you can, but yet uh, at the same time training it to grow the direction you want it to go. And you're talking, Sarah, about how it wants 100 feet. It says 30, but it wants 100 feet to spread out. I'm picturing these being a great canopy for if you're trying to create a little outdoor backyard sitting area under a shade canopy. Uh, I had done one with mesquites, and I thought, you know what? If I ever do this again, I'm going to do a Palo Verde because mesquites – you got to trim them like six times a year sometimes, it seems like. <laughs> You're constantly. But then I've got these Palo Verdes. I'm like, man, you cut them once, and they're good for like two or three years, it seems like. Uh, well, the sometimes. Palo <laughs> Brea, it, it, is, it does get pretty uh, pretty tall, but they are considered semi-deciduous. They can l- drop some leaves, and they're not going to provide that nice dense canopy that you have with a, a broadleaf tree, a ever you know, evergreen that would give you a little bit more uh, more shade. But... They are nice and, and, and large if you want that filtered uh, filtered shade, that filtered sun. Uh, yeah, good choice. I'm, we always are looking out these windows. So, you know, I, I look right past <laughs> Romy here in the studio, and we've got all these Palo Verdes, and they're very very much like your, the, the blue Palo Verde. Uh, they have that uh, light green uh, bark, and Palo Verdes will uh, give you a, a, a little filtered shade. I would kind of shy away on a patio because of the stipules. And, and stipules are thorns that come from the node. Um, but it, you know, you can catch your eye on them real quickly and, you know, scratch your cornea. And May not it, be the best for a sitting area to create probably a, a shaded not sitting area. Because of its widespread, but um, there's other the, base shaped trees. Quite that, a considerable lit, litter drop as well. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of blossoms plus the uh, pods. Well, I should mention now that I see uh, the phones are ringing, and I haven't even mentioned that. If you'd like to join the conversation, of course, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight, one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, or you can email us at info at rosieonthehouse if you'd like to send a picture for a little plant or insect identification. We are talking trees when we are. John always brings in a tree of the month. And we're talking the Palo Brea, slightly different than the Palo Verde. looks very similar, uh, but it comes from, you said, down uh, central Mexico more. Yep, a little further south than our, our native um, Arizona, Arizona state tree is the Parkinsonia floridum, which is our blue Palo Verde. And this Palo Brea is the Parkinsonia praecox, which is just a, it's a just actually they hybridize very easily too. So a lot of the ones you see here in town are probably hybrid hybrid hybrids of uh, a mix between the Palo Verde and and, and the and the Palo Brea. So and Sarah, you had mentioned that it's got a, a pretty bloom. Is it the same yellow type bloom that it's we get on the a little bit darker yellow, I think. Um and, and it has a clustery type of foliage which's really close to the stem and so the branches are more defined. Um Yeah, Doctor um uh Chris Martin has uh, website and you might want to look that up. Look, just look up ASU Dr. Chris Martin. He's got a great resource of trees and he's got a few pictures and um, some ways of not pruning the Palo Verde. He's got a really <laughs> crazy picture of a Palo Verde that's been pruned terribly. And uh, yeah, I think people sometimes get really tired of some of their bigger trees and I'll see them across town and I see them just butchered, you know, trimmed really severely. And 
and I'm I'm thinking there's 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 a story behind this terrible pruning job, someone who's been totally frustrated with, with this tree, which goes back to right tree, right place. You know, there's every tree if you give it its, uh, enough location and space, uh, you want it to, to be able to grow to its its full mature height and spread. One two three. If I were a tree, what a tree I'd be. If I were a tree, what a tree I'd be. If I were a tree, what a tree I'd be. If you follow along in our home maintenance calendar, you know that we're going to be talking irrigation as well today for our trees. And Terry, our first caller online, has a question about irrigation. So let's jump right to it at one 767 4348 That's one 888 for you. Good morning, Terry. Hey, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. How may we help? All right. So I just had a, a backyard installed. Um, I've got two zones set up for for my irrigation. I have one set up for my normal uh, desert shrubs, lantana, hibiscus, bogavia, and I have another zone set up for my two purple natal plums. They've been in the ground for about two weeks. The landscaper left it set up uh, to water 20 minutes a day every day of the week. And I can see that on a new install to help those roots loosen up. But I'm concerned about root rot. I also know we have heavy heat coming next week. I'm wondering what I should be watering these at now. How big are these plants, Terry? So um, the shrubs were all one gallons. And I asked for 24-inch box, but I think he actually gave me five-gallon trees. They're about six and a half feet tall. Okay. And everything looks good right now. I just don't want to develop that root rot. Yeah, typically um, on a new install, you want to, you know, maybe water every three days, um, just enough to keep the root zone moist um, for the first two to three weeks, and then you start backing off on it. Um, daily water really um, isn't good for anything, and, and root rot can happen. Um, just because we're getting into higher temperatures um, doesn't mean you want to start watering every day. It's really good that you ha- have the um, the two different zones because then you can water at different rates. The the one gallon plants probably could be watered a little more frequently because that those shallow um, planted um, uh, shrubs um, are going to dry out pretty quickly. So maybe every other day um, on those, but just make sure that that you water long enough on your station timer uh, each time that it waters to the the bottom of the root ball. So whatever that is, you'll have to kind of determine that amount of water that you're going to put on them. But if you've got that entire root ball so saturated probably every other day for those one gallons, on the five and the 15 gallons, again, you want to be, run that station long enough. Um, it's probably going to be at least double or triple the time um, as the one gallons would take to saturate their root ball. But then, as Sarah was saying, maybe every three to four days should be enough um, to if you've soaked all the way to the bottom of that root ball on those uh, larger shrubs and trees. So it, it sounds like there's no real advantage on those trees to do a, a heavy water, like air, maybe twice a week, really let that whole area get saturated and soak in. Um, you're, you're basically saying uh, about every three or four days and just, just enough to get that root ball going. Yeah, and I, I think you're just we're just wanting to be on the... Uh, on the safe side of not doing what you said, and that is uh, putting water on top of water on top of water. 
that can, you know, creates conditions that are, are conducive to fungal pathogens becoming active and starting to attack the roots. So you, you um, in, in, um, in an effort to try to, you know, make, make sure that doesn't happen, just stay on the conservative side and watch the trees in the late afternoon. Watch your plants. If you start to see a little bit of late afternoon wilting, then you might need to just bump it up another day instead of going four days, uh, go every three days. If, if even after three days in this intense heat, you're seeing that it's, you know, they're, they're just drying out too badly, you might want to uh, either uh, add a little bit more water to each of your stations or each of those cycles or even uh, in, increase the frequency of the, of the uh, cycles to maybe every two days rather than every three. Thanks for the call, Terry. And, you know, it's funny, water stress and too much water look kind of the same they thing do. on a tree. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of times you think, I'm not putting enough water in, so you dump even more, and it's just making the problem worse. So it, more isn't always better when it comes to watering, and we're going to talk more watering. But let's squeak Bob into the conversation before we hit bottom of the hour news. Welcome to the program, Bob. How may we help you? Thank, thank you, Romy and John. I just got a quick comment for you. That I've got a, a palabrea. I've got some ironwood trees also. The only trees I have, and I, I bought those thorn armor gloves <laughs> to pick up the branches after I trim, and I save my hands. They work great. Good for you. Wonderful. <laughs> well, we appreciate it, Bob. Glad they're working for you. He's talking about the thorn armor gloves. They're puncture-proof gloves made by Hex Armor, and it's one of the most popular items in our Rosie on the House e-store. And uh, they, they were designed exactly for that, for uh, cactus, for thorns, for uh, you know the, the desert southwest tree pruning. So glad they're saving your hands while you're cutting your, uh, what did he say? He had palabreas and ironwoods. Iron and yeah. ironwood, man, that's still my favorite desert tree. I don't know if that'll ever change. Yeah, they are really great trees. Yep, they're, they're yeah. struggling a little bit right yeah, now. Yeah, especially in the North Valley. And we've, we've done a lot of testing on um, insect ID on, on several locations, and we're finding aphids. And um, a lot of the trees, we're, we're thinking, do we want to treat them? Do we not want to treat them? You know, three or four years back, maybe it was five years, the psyllids came through and defoliated all of the cascalotes, and we thought they were done. But they, they dropped their leaves in an effort to protect themselves. And I'm not sure if that's what the ironwoods are doing now in the North Valley, but um, they're defoliating and dropping all their leaves. And we think that it's aphids, um, but they tend to leaf right back out. So. Your trees got you stumped? Call in your question. 1-888-767-4348. That's one 888 Second. And John, you wanted to stay on the ironwood topic a little bit longer as we uh, continue our conversation talking trees. Well, you said it's a, a, a pretty a bad time for any of your trees to be defoliating or having thin foliage just because of the the risk of sunburn. You know, the uh, uh, with the high temperatures coming this this week, uh, that intense extra ten degrees can just be really devastating to. Uh, to your trees might be a consideration to throw a, a piece of shade cloth over the top of some of your vulnerable trees. If you've got some very new plantings out there that, uh, like that that one listener who called in, uh, it might not be a bad idea to go to your local nursery, uh, buy a, a several yards of, of of shade cloth, 
And you can drape them over, you know, tie them down if you need to to keep them from blowing away in the wind. Um, and maybe even just to get them through this next week to we're down into the hundreds again. But you've got to, um, got to sometimes give them a little bit of uh, an assist to get them through the, the, the really intense 110-plus degree uh, days. Uh, speaking of which, uh, with, with regard to your monsoon preparation, you also want to be thinking about uh, preparing your trees for some wind. By the way, wind is <clears throat> also exacerbates the heat issue because those hot, hot, dry wind can be almost as damaging as the actual temperature uh, because it just um, can dry out our plants. And once the uh, the uh, the bark and the leaves have been uh, uh, have lost their water. Uh, they they really uh, begin to shrivel and 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 brown up and and die back. Then you have this vicious cycle of of thinning foliage, of browning foliage, leaves dropping, and then it opens up the interior to the plant to even more heat, and it can be the uh, the beginning of the end of a of a, a tree or shrub if you if it gets that far down the road. And I might suggest tree tape for those. Uh, trunks that are damaged as well. Yeah, thank yeah. you for mentioning that. Uh, you can buy a, a nice uh, tree a tape that you can wrap those, especially those smooth barked trees. Uh, our neighbor just put in a new ash tree just next door, and um, I actually uh, took the tree tape off because the planting, the travel stake, uh, was taped right next to the trunk of this uh, this nice ash tree. You'll notice um, quite often new trees, when they arrive from the nursery, have a, a stake that's right next to the trunk. And they're, it's called a travel stake because it's intended only to uh, keep the tree safe until it's <laughs> delivered to its final destination. But once that tree's in the ground, that planting stake should come out. So I unwrapped the, 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 the white tape that was wrapped around it, pulled the tree stake out, and then rewrapped the trunk with the with the tape, so uh, be sure that you uh, uh, protect those smooth bark trees, especially on the south and west sides. And and trees like ficus and citrus are very susceptible. Ash are all very susceptible to sunburn, <laughs> and we have a lot of sooty canker going around. Um, it's an airborne pathogen that's just exploded this it's, year. It's devastating yeah, trees so across no the valley. No pruning on any of those um, thin bark trees right now either. Yeah, that fun- sooty canker is a it's a so an airborne uh, fungal pathogen, and the spores are just n- n- microscopic. They're so small, um, they it 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 ap- they appear like soot on your fingers when you've um, when you've t- touched the the infected bark tissue. Uh, but it's they they blow in the wind, and and they're very opportunistic. We get a, a nice windstorm in the summer, and that sooty canker just goes spreading all across the the. Uh, uh, the landscape, and if you have pruning cuts and other wounds in the in the in these smooth bark trees, uh, uh, caused from sunburn and other other reasons, it will uh, th- those spores will get in there and get active. And speaking of citrus, that's exactly what Jim in Scottsdale would like to talk about. His lemon tree. We may have just answered his question. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, it did. Actually, it did um, because I, I'm getting brown spots and the leaves are turning yellow. And um, we tried to cover up the areas that were, you know, from the sun, and it seemed to grow a little bit, but 
still getting the brown spots on the leaves. Yeah, anything you can do to kind of uh, get that tree through the <clears throat> this difficult time by putting some shade cloth over. Sometimes the the shade cloth is called 50-50 shade cloth. They've got different um, uh, percentages, but 50-50 is, is nice because it gives you some shade value, but it allows enough sunlight to come through to continue to stimulate growth because your whole point of putting the shade cloth on is to get the uh, protect the tree from the sun but you don't want to block the sun entirely because you want some of the foliage that's emerging from lower in the canopy to come in and fill in those spots to eventually um, uh, shade the tree with the foliage so that you can take the shade cloth off so uh, go buy some 50 50 shade cloth and get it over those vulnerable plants and maybe get them through and sometimes people will put it on through an entire summer and then then we'll pull it off in the uh in the fall when the, the the sun angle is a little bit lower in the sky and the, the heat's not as intense. Now we're talking about all the trees under stress, and Mark in Phoenix wants to know why he can't get rid of his rogue sisu tree. Let's see if we can't bring him in and see if we can't get this one defeated for him. Mark, welcome <laughs> oh, to the boy. program. Good morning, guys. Uh, it is two trees that I have. One is close to a lawn, which I can now actually, what I believe, truly feel the roots under me when I walk it. And uh, the other one's actually buckling all the some fabricing tiles that we have uh, out there. I was just wondering, it's a beautiful tree, gives you lots of shade, but it's messing up everything else, it seems. Is there any way of actually controlling that, or is it just time to remove those trees? Well, that's a difficult challenge. Um, Sisu trees are notorious for invasive roots. I know that John's done some consultation where the, the neighbor's Sisu tree roots actually came up and broke through the foundation in the garage of one of his clients. Um, we find them really breaking up sidewalks, really invasive. Um, they'll go after water in pools, especially if you're in, an, in a lawn area. Now, I, I don't know how, how close you are to a foundation. Um, you can put some root barriers in that are helpful. Um, if if you want to control and keep that nice shade tree. Um, but long term, um, it's a difficult tree to control the roots on. Yeah, if you just, uh, root barrier uh, installations involve trenching with a, a, a deep trencher, usually a 36-inch uh, trencher at least. Uh, but you'll be, need to bring that trencher in and dig alongside the, the hardscape you're trying to protect. And we insert a polypropylene uh, piece of material down into that trench, and it and it, it basically keeps the roots from uh, getting beyond that that barrier. And then you'll have to just treat whatever roots are on the other side, on the hardscape side, and because sometimes those roots can have a life of their own. But at least you're not dealing with the tree continuing to put out um, uh, uh, resources to supply all those satellite roots that are, are going out uh, throughout the yard. But yeah, very difficult um, trees. Uh, sometimes uh, you know, your only option is to take the tree out and to treat it with a contact herbicide. Be certain that you don't grind out the stump before you've treated it with a contact herbicide, though. Uh, once the tree is taken down, we usually the very same day, if not the same hour, we will treat the, the cut stump with a, a contact herbicide, which will be absorbed into the into the, the stump and will give us usually a, a kill radius of about 10 or 12 feet from the stump. 
But then beyond that, 10 or 12 feet, those satellite, yeah. those roots can grow sometimes 100 feet from the tree and they'll pop up all over the yard. So you'll have to, you know, do some spot treatment after the tree is removed. But that is a process. It takes sometimes a year or two, but it, eventually you can get get um, get control on all those uh, roots that are uh, sending up other little trees. Well, let's cover a couple of the talking points before we get to the next caller. And we've got a handful of text questions we'll rifle through here. But uh, palm trees, Mexican palm trees, California palm trees, queen palms. Well, we have some set times that you need to be certain if you want to try to get all the, the seed pods in one trimming. Uh, wait until June 15th to start trimming your skinny Mexican fan palms, the tall skinny palms or your Mexican fan palms. Trim those after the 15th of June, which is coming up in a week or so. And then um, if you trim if you trim them before the 15th of June, you'll likely have seed pods emerging after later in this later this summer after you've already trimmed the trees. So if you want to try to get them all in one one trimming, 15th of June. You only want to climb up those once a year. That's right. Or pay for it twice. <laughs> <laughs> the California fan palms, the 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 chunkier, shorter um, fan palms, uh, you should wait until after July 15th to trim those. And then queen palms, you can, basically they put out those seed pods pretty much all all spring and summer into the fall. So you have to just trim them as soon as they you see the seed pods. And sometimes all you need to do with queen palms is take the seed pods out and take off, off any brown, lower brown fronds. But leave your queen palms and all of your palms as full as possible. Try not to over trim them. I know when you're trimming those tall Mexican fan palms, you, you know, you, you might want to uh, trim those up a little bit higher because they do fold down. The fronds will fold down and turn brown pretty quickly. So um, I'll give you a little bit of grace with regard to the proper pruning practices to trim those a little more aggressively. But as a general rule, we try to leave as many green fronds as you can, understanding, though, that if you're only going to trim them once a year, you might need to be a little more aggressive. Sir, well, you had mentioned earlier that your softbark trees, you want to make sure they're you're not trimming or covering the barks, make sure that they're uh, sunscreen. But it's also a great time on the other flip side to prune your faster growing uh, aggressive trees that have a harder bark. Yeah. Yeah, the smooth bark trees are the ones that are more susceptible to. Well, um, our desert trees are really start to come alive when it gets warm, and that's when they're really growing. You know, some of the eucalyptus don't even start to grow until it gets to 100 degrees. But they're, they're fast growing, and they're actively growing. And so when you go in and prune them before the mos- monsoons to get them ready for the winds, they, they will continue to leaf out. So they recover very quickly, and they hold their prune a little bit longer. Yeah, that's we like to try to wait as long as you can on your fast-growing trees to prune them because if you prune them in February or March, uh, they've replaced almost all that foliage uh, by the time the monsoons come, so they're very heavy. So we try to wait till this time of year, May and June, to do the heavy the pruning on some of those more vigorous trees like your mesquites, eucalyptus, and as Sarah said, they respond quickly and and uh, respond favorably to that heavier pruning because they're so fast growing. And the trees were really late to leaf out this year. A lot of the mesquites, you know, that normally are blooming in March didn't leaf out until April. And and so there, you have to wait till that spring flush of growth comes through and they're full, and then you prune those. 
And then sometimes they get, you know, always they get that second flush of growth in the fall. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And judging by the lack of branch movement outside, it's not really a day for fizzer, sither, Sitherism. Sitherism. (laughs) Yeah. The sound of wind blowing through the leaves. And we have two mulberry trees right off of the lawn out in the front. And they're big enough now. Uh, Last Father's Day, the kids gave me a hammock. And we've got the hammock underneath. And talk about a great place to just uh, get done with some chores, get out of the sun, take a few minutes to relax and Sither. Listen to the sitherism. Sitherism. And, and, and get your sitherism <laughs> on. I, I almost wore my shirt today, but yeah, no, it's not a sitherism day, is it? That doesn't look not, like no it. Wind, not no wind, no. Bit of wind. Well. I, I wanted to touch really quickly and go back to our, our upcoming heat um, because trees are going to need a little bit of help from us as our temperatures continue to increase. And we are, you know, in a drought that we get twice in a century. And and so there's things you can do to help your trees. Even the trees that aren't irrigated, um, desert trees, you can put a hose out on a trickle and just let it go overnight and kind of move it around the canopy and and just give it a little bit of a drink. And and then in addition, even, even a soaker hose can be helpful. Yeah, a soaker hose is is easy. Then you don't have to keep moving that hose around. And you, you can even set it up on a on a manual timer on a hose bib, and that's what I did for my garden in Wisconsin. I I put out six six soaker hoses and a timer, <laughs> and go. I'll see what happens when I get back. But um, anyway, we have um, other things we can do to help the trees. Um, getting a layer of wood chips, fresh wood chips would be the best, or mulch over the base of the trees really helps to hold moisture and to um, help the temperature re- retain the same. It doesn't; it, the ground isn't going to heat up as much. It also helps with compaction. But we have a product at Save a Tree that I've been using now for a couple of years, and I'm just having incredible result with it. And it's called Arbor Kelp. And it comes, it's harvested actually from the North Atlantic. And um, it's a nutrient that, um, as John puts it, um, it's kind of a root massage. <laughs> it is. But, it's, it's a soil amendment that conditions yeah. the soil, improves the rooting environment. Yeah. And I like that. Instead of a foot massage, it's a root massage. Yeah, but we find that it really helps to um, prepare trees for stress and helps trees to recover from stress. And the Palo Verdes that I treat at some properties, I go and I treat all their Palo Verdes, and they come through the heat looking better and healthier and happier. We add a bunch of different things into those products. We use Biozone, which is naturally occurring microbes that you find in the soil. And then we also add some organic matters, and there's humic acid, amino acids, and just really good things, and I'm seeing huge result with it in helping trees to recover and and to sustain through through the heat. 
And note, note that it's these are not fertilizer products, which can are are often salt based and can can burn the roots. Uh, this this is more of a, a soil conditioner, uh, uh, creating a more favorable rooting environment. I, we just love these natural products uh, that we can uh, bring to the, our our uh, landscapes and just had some really great results this last year. In fact, we have a early, a mid, and a late fertilizing program. And in the early and the late, we add some nitrogen in the spring, more uh, potassium phosphorus in the fall. Uh, but then in the summer, we pretty much are, are doing these arbor kelp treatments because we're finding that it, that uh, just protecting the trees from the summer stress is, is more, more important than anything we, else we can do. And keeping the nutrient, uh, the macronutrients mainly for the spring and, and fall. And it's really beneficial for the desert trees because you don't need to give them nitrogen. They they get their own nitrogen from, from the bacteria. And and so it's just more nutrient to help the soil help the tree. And what's this last talking point about birds and trees in this new uh, Western Chapter ISA program? It's Well, it started as an ad hoc committee um, through the Britain Fund with the Western Chapter, and it's now a full committee, and it's just going crazy. They have, Every seminar they have is completely packed. And really what, what they're trying to do and what they are doing is educating people on the benefits of keeping your trees for the wildlife and for the birds. And, you know, we, we're, I'm a real stickler. I won't cut out a branch. I have a customer waiting for me to come back and get a dead branch out of his tree. Because there's a and, nest in it. Yeah, there's a nest. And and I was just at a, another customer's that had a roadrunner nest in some cacti that were growing up into a mesquite. And, you know, he did the research and, and I guess they stay in their nest for 24 days. And so we're not even going to prune that area. We're going to wait and let that wildlife have their have their time. And so tree care for birds is huge. It's huge, and it's so important. Um, they're losing their habitat everywhere. We have to help them. Well, maybe next month we can dive a little deeper because we, we, there's a lot involved in minimizing the impacts to discuss the habitat value, the, uh, to know a little bit about the breeding seasons of your different birds. And then, of course, there's rescue and rehab programs that, that we try to make available to our um, there's a lot of great groups like Liberty Wildlife and others here in the valley that uh, can uh, help on the, on the rescue end of of, um, of this whole process of of working with our environment and our and our and our wildlife and our birds uh, in our yards. And to schedule an arborist if you need a little help with your tree care, at saveatree.com would be the fastest way to get to us. No e s a v. A-T-R-E-E dot com. Yes. Save a treat. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us, John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland.